Our lifespan is increasing, but what about our health span, the portion of our lives in which we're healthy? Extend your health span with SRW, Science Research Wellness. SRW is a nutraceutical company that curates the latest science and research to formulate supplements designed to support the structure, function, and processes within our cells that change with age. SRW's cell range line, cell 1, cell 2, and cell 3, constitute the complete cellular system range which supports the nine areas of the cell to change with age, the nine hallmarks of aging. SRW's carefully selected cutting-edge ingredients and formulations support the aging process in a way that previous generations have not had access to. Learn more about the science behind SRW, the nine hallmarks of aging, and how you can find out your biological age by going to srw.co. That's srw.co. SRW, the science of aging well. srw.co. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I hope you weathered uh, this rather weird Thanksgiving well and that uh, you weren't too bereft of uh, family uh, contact and social interaction because of the lockdown. Uh, I had a very nice Thanksgiving. It was more the uh, nuclear family and not uh, the big gathering of uh, a couple dozen people that we're usually accustomed to. We had a Zoom meeting, though. Oh, nice. Uh, Very nice. The Zoom meeting was, as usual, uh, very unsatisfying because you got to see a lot of people. Right. And But everybody's talking at once. And there's got to be a better way. There should have been a little better better organization. A virtual dinner party. There there could have been like a little go around, like, okay, like everybody stay quiet while each person, you know, says, I mean, but that's the nature of this family. That's it's it. yeah. chaos yeah. ensued. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it was funny, like one of the little kids, uh-huh. you know, we wanted him to be in the Zoom conference and he looked at the screen and he saw all the people and all staring at him and going, hi, hello, hello. And he just started bawling. Oh. He just started bawling. because oh. <laughs> he's, he's just turned five. Sweet and it was just, it was a little bit of sensory overwhelm, and I wonder, oh. you know, we we adults we sort of keep that sensory overwhelm mm-hmm. at bay, mm-hmm. but it is kind of scary, you know, in a primal way to have a lot of eyeballs staring at you in the forest, <laughs> you know, that's sort of like oh, an audience, oh no, yeah, well, <laughs> or something, okay. right, yeah. Uh, although he's you know performed in like little choirs in school in front oh, of nice. an audience, and but this is a different kind of stage fright. But anyway, so uh, let's get to questions. And so on um, Facebook, um, this is not really the proper venue for questions. Radio program at AOL.com gets you directly into our email box for questions for Q&A with Layla. However, some people, you know, they use whatever means of communication is at their Mm -hmm. disposal. Uh, Here's an interesting one that I got from the Philippines. Jay writes, I want to sail my one kidney... I need money to support my family. Please message Dr. Ronald. I'm here in the Philippines. I willing to all needed process. So, d- d- by the way, this is not Facebook. This is, is on not, Facebook? This, this is not the forum. He, <laughs> he private messaged me. <laughs> he PM'd me to, to say that he wanted to donate kidney. I'm sorry. 
Thanks for your message. Uh, if you have a question or thought you'd like to share, I encourage you to use the link at the bottom of this message, which is... Did you let him know that you're pretty full up and that's not the inventory you're seeking at this time? Or Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're looking for questions, not kidneys. Uh, you know, but it kind of shows you the level of desperation. Okay, but yeah. we did get a good question from Tony. Yeah. Tony writes, did you see the latest headline from CNN, sir? And he refers me to a CNN article entitled, Fish Oil Doesn't Seem to Prevent Heart Problems, Studies find. Mm. You may want to forget the fish oil supplements if you're hoping to prevent heart problems. CNN.com. Right. Okay. Right. So uh, I shared with you some of the links to the studies. Yeah. And one yeah. of them was, uh, a, there are actually a couple of them, so it's a little confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was a study that uh, attempts to see if fish oil is helpful for atrial fibrillation. Yeah. Which it never really was intended for. I mean, right. uh, there is some evidence that uh, omega threes are antiarrhythmic, mm -hmm. but maybe more for ventricular arrhythmias mm -hmm. than atrial arrhythmias, because they, I don't know, restore conductivity in some way. They make the membranes work better, and somehow that works out. But yeah. it turns out that atrial. And by the way, they also tested vitamin D. Vitamin D does not prevent atrial fibrillation, yes. nor does fish oil, according to the study. Right, right, I, right. I will say this, is that fish oil might have a minor benefit in atrial fibrillation because of blood thinner. And we know that in atrial fibrillation, people yes. get strokes. And so it might be that mm -hmm. uh, fish oil is a good thing to have on board. It won't stop your atrial fibrillation, but it might prevent the blood clot. I'm paying attention to the wording here. Mm -hmm. Found that common types of fish oil, aka over-the-counter, yeah. may not be as beneficial for the heart as once thought. Found that The JAMA article found that high dose of omega-3 fatty acids did not reduce people's chance of experiencing a major cardiovascular event. Okay, so this event. is a different study. Yeah. It's a different study. Yeah. And in that study, uh, I looked at it, and if I recall correctly, uh, the study went on for a couple of years, and they gave four grams of fish oil yeah. to people who were, and this is important, high risk for cardiac events. Mm -hmm. They had already had a heart attack, or they had like, uh, you know, uh, coronary syndrome, yeah. you know, angina. They're very high risk for cardiac events, mm -hmm. which is actually a way you do the study because if you do it on, you know, ordinary people like you and I, you know, you would you're have to... You're not going to see anything. You're not going to see... You have to have millions of people over, you know, 20 years and then you, maybe you might get something of statistical significance. So you yeah. do a study on high-risk people because you're going to see some events. These people are likely to have subsequent heart attacks or something. So they did the fish oil and they the placebo, interestingly, was corn oil. Oh, I remember that. Four story. grams of corn oil Ugh. versus four grams of fish oil, which was e mostly EPA, but a fair amount of DHA. Yeah. Which is in contradistinction to a recent study called the Reduce It study, which was done with a synthetic EPA, mm -hmm. uh, which is um, uh, marketed as a pharmaceutical, uh -huh. uh, Vasipa. Vasipa, Vasipa. yes. And they got sensational results, 25% reduction in cardiovascular disease yeah. with the Vasipa, which is pure EPA. But then with this other, you know, probably less EPA because it's four grams of fish oil, but it doesn't mean four grams of EPA. Yes. And there's some DHA, so it's probably less EPA. So how do you reconcile those results? 
Well, one of the ways that you, you know, so it's like, and this is a big pharmaceutical company is marketing this. This is not the fish oil industry that, you know, sells in health food stores. This is yeah. a pharmaceutical thing that is prescription. It's covered by insurance mm -hmm. uh, now. And they want to push all doctors to get, you know, to prescribe it to their patients who have some cardiovascular risk, much like statins. So how do you reconcile those results? Well, the reduced study has been criticized because they use as a placebo mineral oil. Oh. Mineral oil is not so good for you. No. In fact, what they found was that in the in the placebo people, they had a 30% increase in their C-reactive protein from the mineral oil. Wow. Very very pro-inflammatory. Pro-inflammatory or maybe and it, mineral oil is, it depleted, it's a petroleum product. It depleted yeah. some nutrients possibly because sure. it can deplete vitamin D and Remember mineral oil just, in the days of our grandmothers when they were constipated? Yeah, yeah just a lubricant. Like it just a, it, yeah. it sort of like gives you an oil slake <clears> internally. <throat> so anyway, so they now say, well, we used a better placebo, corn oil. Corn oil, I would argue, is pro-inflammatory. Absolutely. But if anything... That Absolutely. should accentuate the difference between the placebo and the fish oil. Yes. So you can't really say, well, the corn oil was somewhat protective, just as if you, in some studies, exactly. they used olive oil placebo. And olive oil might be protective, so you, you won't You're see a big difference. You're not going to see the significant difference yes. between the two yeah. for that so, reason. Yes. So the other thing about that study, in addition to these people being pretty sick with cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. uh, is that um, they uh, also... We're all on statins, mm -hmm. so it might be that statins mask the benefits of fish oil for cardiovascular protection, because the statins have some intrinsic anti-inflammatory effects and cholesterol-lowering effects, and so you, it might be that uh, in another study where people weren't already on statins, yeah. you might see the benefit of fish oil. But they, the study didn't last very long. It lasted for a couple of years, yeah, um, and it was in a population that was very sick. Which does not necessarily mean that an ordinary person, if they take fish oil for, you know, decades like we have, mm -hmm. you know, I presume you take fish oil, I take mm -hmm. fish oil daily, I've been doing it for like 30 years. Yep. Would there not be some benefit in a non, uh, in a non-diseased population? So I sometimes refer to this as the Lazarus effect is, you know, Lazarus, uh, you know, you, to, to, right, you, yeah. to waken the dead. Yes. A lot of these scientific studies which are used to debunk supplements are used in the most extreme situations. Like yes. they'll take somebody with hopeless metastatic cancer mm -hmm. and give them vitamin C. And say, well, and see, see, it that, didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> it's like, well, everything else failed and they, you know, they had like, you know. Not uh, just that, 60 milligrams of vitamin they C. They had metastasis in the liver and in the lungs yeah. and, you know, they're just like. Yeah. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, but could vitamin C be plausible as a preventive agent against cancer? Well, you know, I think the studies have been back and forth on that. Right. So uh, to conclude, based on these two studies, that fish oil is useless, I think is you know again it's this uh, bad reporting, bad yes, reporting, very bad reporting. Uh, you know, and a lot of studies say you know an article in the Wall Street Journal, like, you know, did you succumb to this fraud of taking mm -hmm. fish oil, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, mm -hmm. not, it's kind of overheated uh, conclusions. Really? Honestly? So, uh, now, let's say fish oil is not beneficial for the heart. Well, which it is. It is, uh, yes. But what about its other benefits for the brain, for the joints, for mood, yes. Uh, for the eyes, for depression, for arthritis, uh, for M many cancers. Any kind, yes. You know, so, yes. It, 
so, and all kinds of information. So bottom line, um, I think it's a disappointing study. It I is. think there's some flaws to the methodology, uh, but it is not the death knell for fish oil by any means. You know, just, no. just, and, but here's the other thing. How mm-hmm. do you explain the tremendous disparity between the Reducit study, which was the platform for promoting Vasipa, the pharmaceutical fish oil, yes. versus uh, the, um, you know, the results that we see in the study, which are negligible? Exactly. 25% reduction or zero? I mean, that's amazing. Okay, and we have uh, some questions, right? Yes, we do. So let's get to questions. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for your volunteering to donate an organ, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it be an, uh, a kidney or a liver <sighs> or, you know, no. Please, no organ donations, just questions. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we have another, uh, Dr. Hoffman, Bruce would like you to comment on uh, some recent research about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. This is really, really interesting. A study finds hyperbaric oxygen treatment reverses the aging process. And what they found was really astounding that just three months of, of this oxygen therapy were able to elongate telomeres. Mm-hmm. Telomeres, longer telomeres means longer life. Right. It was able to elongate telomeres at rates far beyond any currently available inter- interventions or lifestyle modifications. That includes diet and exercise. You mean I, I, should, which is stop, astounding. I should stop running, bicycling? I, sh- and I, I should stop just go everything. In a I'll just go in a chamber. In a chamber? Exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Wow. So we know that hyperbaric oxygen is good for so many things. Yes. Right? But this is really something. Well, you know... This is out of Tel Aviv University. It's interesting in Mm -hmm. that uh, oxygen is a two-edged sword because uh, we know, for example, that uh, some of the people who are in the baby boomer generation who are blind uh, were the result of overzealous uh, oxygen therapy for kids who had respiratory distress, it was thought that if we gave them 100% oxygen and put them in an oxygen tent, uh, it would help to uh, revive them, you know, if they had some kind of birth complication. Uh-huh. And what ended up happening is that, you know, oxygen is a pro-oxidant. Yes. And it can generate free radicals. Yeah. And so too much oxygen uh, can have a deleterious effect. Now, uh, hyperbaric... Uh, treatment is usually not done with pure oxygen. It's done with a mixture of oxygen and mm-hmm. you know, nitrogen, like mm-hmm. room air, but at, under pressure. Under pressure, and It yes. seems to do something beneficial uh, for, um, in effect, nourishing the cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an interesting result because we use hyperbaric oxygen for a variety of applications. It's controversial, but we use it for stroke recovery. Yes. Uh, we use it for patients who have like post-Lyme syndrome. Yes. Uh, things, you know. Even uh, some neurodegenerative. Neurodegenerative diseases. I think to enhance healing from surgery, major surgery. Yes, absolutely. It's also helpful. But, you know, it, traditionally it's used for people who have gangrenous wounds, Oof. you know, to promote uh, blood flow, you know, or diabetic ulcers or things like that. Because mm-hmm. 
the uh, circulation is compromised to those areas. Yeah. And then oxygen doesn't get to the tissue. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Well, and um, this was done on healthy and independent aging adults and to discover whether these treatments can slow down, stop, or even reverse the normal aging process at the cellular level. level. That's what the scientists set out to do. So this is really something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would, this would not be covered by insurance, but as a kind of a luxury treatment... Sure. Uh, it certainly is They plausible. don't give these out at free for free at medical conventions. <laughs> they, actually, I mean, they the the some of the anti-aging conventions I go to, there are plenty of uh, people who sell yeah. these tents. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. And you can get a home unit. The problem with a home yeah. unit is it, they can't be under enough pressure. Mm. And you know, when we were at our previous location, I thought of getting uh, hyperbaric oxygen just the, but in New York they won't allow you to do hyperbaric oxygen except under the most stringent, uh, in New York City, in Manhattan, you know, just like you can't bring a gas cylinder in for your uh, barbecue, you can't have a, an oxygen chamber in high pressure in Manhattan, except under the most stringent uh, zoning and construction, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, you, you just can't install one. No. Because of the explosion risk oh, under sure. high oxygen. Sure, sure. Wow. So, this is really something. And... Uh, this may become the next thing as baby boomers the are next set big thing. never to age and never to die. Yeah. Yes. That I, is you the know, quest. Then I can stop exercising. I can stop eating. I can eat. You can eat whatever. I Just eat, get hop into that chamber. I can eat corned beef sandwiches and pizza and you know <laughs> ice cream sundaes and just hop in that chamber. That's it. Just hop in All that right. chamber. Oh my goodness! All right, Bruce. Thank you very much for that. We've got uh, a question for from uh, Amanda. Hi, Dr. Hoffman. I've been reading your book on natural therapies for mitral valve prolapse. That's such a perennial book. I think I wrote that yeah. like 25 years ago, but yeah. It, yeah, I still get royalties. That's great. I think I got 57 It's a great book. I got $57. I checked. You know, the other day. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Does the advice or exercise advice remain the same if I have mild to moderate regurgitation? Okay. So for... Our listeners who are not familiar with mitral valve prolapse, it's a condition of a floppy valve in the heart. Yeah, that you're born with. That you're uh, born with or that can develop and worsen. Mm. It's There's a genetic predisposition. It can also be caused by, um, you know, perhaps in the old days, rheumatic heart disease would cause, yeah. you know, mitral valve damage. Not prolapse. Mitral valve prolapse is more of a uh, hereditary it's more of a trait. phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we think it's also associated with autonomic uh, yes. sensitivity and uh, autonomic instability. So I wrote that book for people of mitral valve prolapse. Uh, regurgitation means that the valve is so floppy that it doesn't close properly and there's backflow. Yeah. And for yeah, most people with mitral valve prolapse, there's a little bit of regurgitation. Mm-hmm. And if there's very severe regurgitation, then the valve is not you know, pushing the blood along. And, or time keep for it, a valve replacement. Time for valve replacement, yeah. yes. but So they monitor very carefully. Mm-hmm. They look at what's called an echocardiogram or a transesophageal echo, and they look at your uh, cardiac output, mm-hmm. and uh, some they look at the flow dynamics to see if there's regurgitation. So yeah. the question was, are my recommendations applicable to that? Is it the same if there's also regurgitation, not just plain old MVP, but with regurgitation. Yeah, that should be. I mean, I mean, the things we recommend, we'd recommend, you know, coenzyme Q10 and magnesium and yeah. 
Um, yeah. Amanda is an otherwise healthy 43-year-old female. She'd recently been having, been having uh, strong palpitations and skipped beats. Not uncommon in this. But following starting a new job, which was very stressful. Okay, stress will do it. So her GP did an echo, and okay. that's what they found. And the GP didn't do anything because they said, well, you have mm-hmm. mitral prolapse, no big whoop, we'll monitor yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. But okay. it's very disconcerting for those people. They also have heightened right. sensory awareness of their heartbeats. They can feel their heart. Yeah. Um, and they can. Uh, it's disconcerting to feel those palpitations. She said the GP was an overly concern, except that yeah. I, I've also shown... Some ventricular beats and a stress echo showed some weird beats in my septum. Well, no. This, look, you having been diagnosed with this, you have a passport to subsequent echoes and possibly halter monitors so that we can keep an eye on this over time. But, you know, I would not stress inordinately because this is a benign arrhythmia. This is not the kind of arrhythmia that gives people heart attacks or strokes. And uh, or can devolve into right. a fatal arrhythmia. I would also tell Amanda it's very important to have your blood sugar stable at all times yes. because unstable blood sugar can set the soft. Right. And many of these have people have a gene which makes them susceptible to the effects of caffeine and stimulants too. Mm. So another, you know, you may not want to take decongestants with. Um, oh yeah. You know, with uh, you that know, can cause uh, high blood pressure uh, in some people too. Ephedrine or Sudafed yes. or things like that in them. Right. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or Allegra D. Yes. You know, with the D meaning that it's a combination of an antihistamine and a and decon- the decongestant. Yeah. Which would do that, yeah. So you want to take, a, for a cold remedy, you would take a nighttime cold remedy mm-hmm. as opposed to a daytime. The daytime often mm-hmm. has the decongestants, which can cause palpitations. Yeah. Yeah. So, Amanda, make sure that you e- have even- regular meal times, that you're not going hungry for long periods of time because low blood sugar can. Set this off. And you need to take magnesium the rest of your life. Absolutely. Even dental procedures where they inject Novocaine with a little bit of epinephrine. Yes, uh, which they the normally ep- do now. And you can I get think. the Novocaine without the epinephrine mm-hmm. uh, if you're susceptible to heart palpitations. You can just tell your yeah. uh, dentist. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Amanda, thank you for that question. All right. Let's see here. We have, we've got an email, no name here. Dr. Hoffman, do you think supplementing with one milligram melatonin daily or nightly offers any general health benefits? I've heard rumors, especially in relation to COVID prevention, but are there any general health benefits? One uh, milligram. There is some evidence that melatonin is uh, essential for um, uh, protection against the COVID-19 inflammasome reaction which is part of that um, inflammatory cascade that's triggered by the virus. Yeah. So it's unknown what level of uh, melatonin is necessary for protection. It may be as little as one to three, although I've seen some protocols for if you're sick with um, COVID, you might take 10. Mm. I've seen, and some protocols. Right. It's part of the protocol. Right. Um, and the time in terms of it, other benefits, yeah. you know, uh, there's some benefits in terms of possibly breast cancer prevention. Sure. Um, or be- any cancer prevention. Well, particularly really. the hormonal ones, mm. you know, uh, possibly prostate. Okay. So we give our patients who have those conditions 20 milligrams of, of melatonin, mm-hmm. uh, which is, seems to be the oncologic dosage, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the one that's applicable to cancers. Right, right. 
uh, it's known uh, that shift workers have higher incidence of cancer yes. because they're awake during the night and they're not making any melatonin. Under fluorescent lights that exactly. abolish the nighttime production of melatonin, which right. gets produced in darkness. Exactly. Exactly. And fake darkness doesn't quite cut it when it's daytime outside, unless you live in a cave year-round, which is a Right. Even matter. very small amounts of uh, light can abolish your pineal gland's production of melatonin. You know, that's why even when you've got that digital clock on your nightstand, turn it away from you. Don't mm. always be looking at that. Make sure there's no moonlights, you know, seeping through your windows. Draw the blinds. Yeah, I always close the curtains. Don't want to know what time it is at night because that's yeah, just a yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a losing game. It's mm -hmm. like you know, it's like just sleep. And what time know. is it now? Yeah. What time is it now? Right, right. Forget it. Uh, good point at which yeah. to pause because we divide a podcast into two parts. Mm -hmm. So give us a preview of what we'll talk about in part two, please. What can I do about my SIBO, which is now mostly methane-predominant? Ooh, methane-predominant SIBO. As opposed to hydrogen-predominant. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we'll tackle that in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. I'm with Layla Mutin, who's our nutritionist in residence, and we'll be right back with more of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast.